is vastly different knowing about somebody than knowing somebody. Okay, good. Thank you. That was wonderful. Tough crap. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to learn about a man who knew a lot about the coming Messiah, but he hadn't met him personally. And the events in Acts chapter 18, actually, I'm going to take you all the way back to Isaiah chapter 40. And if you turn there to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, I put these little girly sticky marks in my Bible. I can only find these pink ones. So I got there a little quicker than you did. I'm sorry about that. So I'll wait on you. Isaiah chapter 40. And if you look in verse 1, look what Isaiah says. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, and her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now realize, at this point, Israel is not living in peace. They have, they have been in Babylonian captivity. They have been, the, the country has just been ransacked. They have, they have left God. They have gone to idolatry and they have not known what it's like to live under peace. And uh, they used to, but here they don't. And so God says to speak, tells Isaiah to speak comfortably to Jerusalem. She's received what she double for all of her sins. And let me say this. When we choose the sin, God chooses the consequence. We have, no, we have no choice in the consequence of our sin. And I'll tell you, like anything else, when you sow, it comes up more than you sow. We all know that's true. I'm not, I'm, i got three fingers pointed back at me. We all know that's true, don't we? And this is what God's told here in Israel. You're receiving double for all of your sins. Look at verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So we have a prophecy here of what's coming for Israel. Look at verse 6. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Look at verse, uh, shall stand forever. I'm going to stop. Let me stop there. I almost went ahead. Let me not do that. So here we have what is going on here is Isaiah. God is, Isaiah is prophesying here that there is one that is coming that is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's preparing the way for peace. But to come back to Israel again, the Prince of Peace is coming. And we see here in Isaiah chapter 40, but that this individual who is going to come and, and pave the way for the Messiah, he had a prophesied position. This is all prophecy. He had a prophesied place. He was going to preach in the wilderness. He had a prophesied proclamation. We see it here in these verses. Prepare the way of the Lord, he was going to say. He was going to say, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He was going to cry aloud. He was going to preach to the multitudes. What was he going to cry? He was going to cry out that all flesh is grass. Grass comes up and it dies. It comes up and it dies. 
He was going to cry out that the beauty of this life is temporary. He was going to cry out that mankind will come and go. But I like this. But the word of God was going to stand forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. John had a prophesied position. He had a prophesied position. 700 years later, the coming, the, the one who is going to be the, the, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I just said, John the Baptist, this prophecy was fulfilled. Turn over to Luke chapter 1, would you? Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Zechariah was a priest at this time. He was of the line of Aaron. His wife Elizabeth, her, she too was of the line of Aaron. And while Zechariah was in the temple one day, an angel came to him and told him that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a son. Now, she was past childbearing years. She, they were older in, in years, and, and he was kind of kind of shocked by the whole thing. But let's uh, pick up here in the story in, in chapter 15. I'm sorry, ch- verse 15, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Look what the Bible says. <clears throat> we're talking about prophecies being fulfilled. And thou shalt, verse 14, thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Speaking about John, who is going to be born of Elizabeth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He wasn't Elijah, spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Did you notice that last line? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's exactly what Isaiah had said. It's what God had said through Isaiah. So here is John the Baptist. He had a prophesied position. Here he is, 700 years later. He had a prophesied place. We're going to see he's going to go out into the desert and the wilderness and preach. And he had a prophesied proclamation he's going to preach repent repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand so you see john's ministry here was to preach repentance to prepare the hearts of israel for the messiah that is soon going to be on the scene why do their hearts need prepared well i mean we understand they're hard but we're talking over 700 years of walking away from God. How hard does your heart get when you get away from God for a month or two? Yeah. They weren't looking for the Messiah at all. I'm sure, obviously we understand there's somewhere. But on a national scale, they weren't looking for the Messiah that God had promised. Obviously, even when Jesus comes, they're looking for a different type of Messiah. But John's ministry was to, was to turn their hearts toward God, so they would be ready to receive the Messiah when He showed up. And this is why He's preaching in the wilderness. So here He is, He's been prophesied. Here we see in Luke chapter 1, He has arrived. And we can go on in Luke chapter 7, you can turn there next, and I'm going to show you that even Jesus Himself authenticates the message of John. If you recall here in Luke chapter 7, Jesus had entered into, into Capernaum and there was a centurion there who had a servant. It said, the Bible said, was dear unto him. And by this time, John had been put in prison by Herod. You remember that? Uh, Herod wanted to, to uh, marry his brother's 
former wife, I think it was, I may have it wrong. And, and, and uh, John the Baptist went into him and he said, it's not lawful for you to do this. So, you know, Herod didn't like that, put him in prison. And we know he, at this time, he is still in prison and we know what's going to happen to him eventually. But while he is here in prison, Jesus is in, is in, is in Capernaum. He has healed the centurion's servant. And the next day he goes and he raises uh, the widow's son from the dead. And some of John's disciples were here at this healing meeting that Jesus is having. And this is a real healing meeting. This isn't a Benny Hinn meeting. This isn't a, 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 a Copeland meeting. This isn't a B-grade hypnotist meeting. All right. This is, this is the God of heaven who has authority and the ability to heal. He is the one healing. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying God doesn't heal today. Of course he does. It's the, it's the, it's the shows and the charlatans that we have to warn about. But Jesus is here healing. And John's in prison. And while he's healing, he sends some of his disciples. And John says, would you go ask Jesus if this is the one, if he really is the Messiah, or do I need to be looking for somebody else? It's a whole other message here. And you maybe have dealt with this yourself and a little bit of the discouragement that John was going through. Can I tell you many times the outcomes that we think are to come from serving God? How many, have, how many have looked for an outcome from serving God and it didn't turn out like you thought it would? Can I tell you the cross didn't turn out like people thought it should either? Somet- Listen, sometimes the things that God brings us through when we obey Him are for us to be closer to Him. Not necessarily. Sometimes the outcomes don't turn out right like we thought they should because uh, God is doing something else. And so here's John, he's in prison, he's discouraged. He sends his disciples and say, would you go and ask if Jesus is the Messiah, if we need to wait for somebody else. And you can see here in verse 21 of chapter 7, it says in this, uh, yeah, chapter 7, I almost, almost read the wrong one. Let's get in the right place here. Chapter 7, look at verse 21. And in the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the poor, the gospel is preached and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended, whosoever shall not be caused to stumble in me. And so Jesus didn't, he did not, listen, he didn't stop doing the healing. He goes, hold on a minute, let me finish up here. He did a little bit more healing and then he turned to them because they got to see more healing. He said, you go back and you tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the, the deaf are, are here, the, the, the dead are raised, uh, raised back to life again. The gospel is preached to the poor. Jesus is telling the, the disciples, essentially, you go back and you tell John that yes, I'm the one that you paved the way for. I am the Messiah. Yeah. See, John, John understood, John understood, uh, prophecy. He, he knew what the, what the Messiah was going to do and come with healing and with peace. He understood that. And the, but watch what Jesus does. Now Jesus turns to his audience and he validates John. Look at verse 25. But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. 
But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So Jesus is validating the ministry of John. He was prophesied. The prophecy was fulfilled. And even Jesus himself validates that this is the man that was prophesied in Isaiah 40. I don't know if you noticed this or not. By Jesus validating John, he validates himself without even having to. Because if they knew the scripture and they knew the prophecy, they knew that this forerunner was coming before the Messiah. And if he was the one who was prophesied of Isaiah, then Jesus had to be the Messiah. Yeah. I want you to notice something before we move on. We are going to get in Acts 18. I've got to set this foundation here. I want you to notice John's view of himself. You know, it's one thing to be important. (laughs) It's another thing to know you're important. And it's a repulsive thing when somebody thinks they're important when they're not. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, God Himself showed us the importance of John. You know, you think in the scope of redemption, the the, the importance of John the Baptist in, 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 in the plan of salvation. He was prophesied. He was necessary. He, he, he had to be. He had the authority. He had the authority to baptize. And we see the importance of that. But notice John's assessment of himself. Would you turn to John chapter 1? John chapter 1, verse 19. It says, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. You got to know somebody's fairly honest if they're going to deflect any glory that they might get. <laughs> he said, I'm not the Christ. And he asked them, Then what then? Art thou Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? He said, No. Then said they unto him, Who are you? Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? When What sayest thou of thyself? Notice what he says, verse 23. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Are you the Christ? No. You Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. What did he say? I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I, have, I am the one who has fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 40. But notice what else he's doing. He has totally removed himself from the equation. He says, I'm just a voice. What is a voice? It is heard. It's not seen. You know what Isaiah was pointing him to? He was pointing to, he was, or John. John the Baptist was pointing his audience to what he was saying, not who he himself was. Though he was important. Though he had to be where he was in that prophesied place and position. He took, he deflected all of the attention to himself. He directed everybody to the words that he was speaking. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not that prophet. I'm just a voice 
crying out in the wilderness, of the one who is preferred before me. Watch, because it goes on to say, because he was before me. You know what we all know? We all know that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. And he said, he was before me. Well, how could he say that? Remember that that fight that Jesus had with the Pharisees? I love it. That's why I'm convinced that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. Oh. Jesus is having that battle with the Pharisees and they, and they said, you're not but 50. Jesus said, you know, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced to see it, you know. And uh, I'm sorry, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And they said, you are not but 50 years old. How could you have seen Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And boy, they, they took up rocks and they were going to stone him for the blasphemy of claiming to be God, right? He was before John knew this. He was before John. Yeah. Notice, no, no, don't miss this. As important as John was, his purpose was never to draw people to himself. His purpose was to direct people to Jesus Christ. It was never a follow me. It was always uh, follow him. You know that's our job as well. No, we we have taken up that ministry. It, it is not you. It's not me. It's all him, and that is our role in this in this life. And you know what John ends up doing in John chapter one and verse twenty nine. Remember, Jesus is coming to be baptized at this place. And John points off and he says, he's been teaching his disciples, and he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world." And what was he doing? Pointing people to Jesus. Why? Because He is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And we see later on, I believe it is about John 1, verse 35, some of John's disciples left Him and followed Jesus. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. You know it's a good thing the day your children leave you and follow Jesus on their own? You know it's a good thing as a preacher... When people leave the, quote, leave the preacher and follow Jesus on their own. No, that's the goal, folks. It's not to follow me. It's not to follow you. It's to follow Him. And you know what happens when they end up following Jesus? They'll follow those who follow Him also. Yeah, we just get it out of order sometimes. That's, that was free today. That's free. That wasn't in here. Okay. There had been somebody here in John's ministry who had been following him. Okay. And when you turn, we're going to finally get back to Acts chapter 18. I've got like, I've got 30 minutes left. I can finish it up. Maybe not. I'm joking. I'm joking, man. It's only 25. Acts chapter 18. Paul had been in Corinth. We looked at that last week. The chief ruler of the synagogue uh, had gotten saved as well as some of the others. And, and the Jews now had tried to take Paul to court. They tried to get him to, to stop. Gallio said, what is that to me? Brother Jim just read this. I don't care. That's a, that's, that's a religious law of your own. You deal with it. And they did. And then Paul goes ahead and he leaves Corinth and he comes to Ephesus. And as we'll see, he brought Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila with him as well. And so Paul stays here at Ephesus for just a little while. 
and then he heads on to Jerusalem. He has to go up to Jerusalem, back down, down to Antioch, and, uh, and eventually he goes out and stays in Antioch for a little while and goes out and visits a bunch of the churches that he started in Phrygia and Galatia. But back at Ephesus, a man by the name of Apollos shows up. And he is a Jew. Look at verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So here is Apollos, a Jew, born at Alexandria, Egypt. He was a great orator. He had the gift of oration. He was eloquent. The Bible says he was mighty in the Scriptures. He understood. He had a, he had a, he had a, a great grasp of, of theology of the, uh, in a, of the Old Testament. He was mighty in the Scriptures. He was educated in the way of the Lord, the Bible says. He was fervent in spirit. No doubt he may have assumed the style of preaching of, of John the Baptist or maybe one of John's disciples himself. He, he was taught diligently the things of the Lord. But notice this here. Verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now notice this, knowing only the baptism of John. Now we just spent enough time on John. We know who he is, right? This is the only reference that Apollos has had to the Messiah. It's that he was coming. That's all he knew. You say, what happened? How did this happen? I don't know. It's possible he was in Jerusalem. It's possible he heard heard, heard, uh, John the Baptist. The Bible says all of Jerusalem came out. All of Judea came out and was baptized of John. And so, most uh, most definitely, Apollos had heard the baptism of John. He had been baptized. He had believed. He had repented. He had believed in the coming Messiah. He was looking for the coming Messiah. He was baptized uh, by, by John. And maybe, perhaps, I don't know, he went back to Alexandria. Maybe he went back before the ministry of Jesus started. Maybe he went back. Obviously, he did not know of the crucifixion. He did not know of the resurrection. He did not know that the Messiah had come. But Apollos was a disciple of John the Baptist. And you know what he was doing? He was going synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, preaching that the Messiah was coming. I forget which battle it was, Jim. You can pipe off here if you, if you have to. The Civil War had ended, and I forget where it was down in Texas somewhere. What is it, a month or two before word finally got down to one of those battles just carrying on? They were just battling the way down there. They had no idea. Could you imagine if they had Google or texting? That would have been saved a lot of lives, wouldn't it? But, uh, <laughs> but they had no clue. It took a while for word to get there. Well, you know what? Apollos hadn't heard the, heard the news yet. And so he's still going synagogue to synagogue preaching, preaching in the coming Messiah. He understood the Old Testament scriptures. He had a mastery of the text. He, he was an incredible orator and he had that gift. And uh, his, his gift in speaking uh, made him able to preach with great boldness, the Bible says. In great boldness, he preached with the truths of scripture. But there was a couple in this synagogue at Ephesus who was listening intently. Would you look at verse 26? And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when, oh look at this, Aquila and Priscilla had heard. Here they are. 
Paul left them there. I love the providence of God. Paul left them there and went on. And they were sitting in the synagogue listening to this great orator who had a great mastery of the text who believed in the coming Messiah who had been baptized by John and was waiting for what John had preached. And he was going around the synagogue telling them, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. Well, look what it says here in verse 26. They took Him aside and expounded unto Him the way of God more perfectly. That word perfectly, more completely. See, Apollos' understanding of the Scripture was incomplete. It was incomplete. And you know what happens? They teach him, and what does he do? He receives Christ. Of course he's going to believe. He already believes the Messiah is coming. Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla bring him inside and said, He's come. This is what happened. Jesus was crucified, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried, just as prophecy said. He rose again on the third day, just as the Scriptures have said. He's healed. Like John the Baptist said, He has healed the blind. He has, he has raised the dead. He has, he has given sight to, or, or hearing to the deaf and preached the gospel to the poor. He has come. He has come. And He receives Him. How do we know He receives Him? Well, Apollos leaves Ephesus. He goes to a church at Achaia. And the brethren at Ephesus write a letter to the church at Achaia to receive Apollos. We do that today, don't we? Somebody, somebody moves on, somebody has to move away. Job takes them somewhere to another state. And they get a letter from a church and say, so-and-so has come for membership in this body. Can, do you recommend them us receiving them? And we would send a letter back if they leave correctly and would say, yes, we recommend them to that body. And they would receive that letter. It's exactly what Barnabas did with, with, with Paul when he brought him from Damascus to Antioch. He vouched for him. He, he, brought, he was the letter. A letter of recommendation. You know what you, who you don't give a letter of recommendation to? Somebody who isn't saved. <laughs> yeah. We believe in a baptized, regenerate church membership. Absolutely. Now notice also, when Apollos gets to Achaia, he preaches to the Jews, convincing them from the Scriptures. Look at verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly. He wasn't ashamed of it. Remember Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. No, Apollos wasn't ashamed of it. He did it publicly. Look at this. Showing by the Scriptures, not His own word, the Scriptures, that Jesus was Christ. He was saved. I don't want to get into the theological debate over when Apollos was saved. We'll save that for a cup of coffee somewhere. That's an exciting, adventurous discussion. I'll throw this out to you. He wasn't (laughs) rebaptized. I'll let you think of that one. Or baptize. No, we don't believe in rebaptism. Baptism. Yeah. We're accused of that. Another story. Another, another lesson. I want to show you this. This man, Apollos, had been a disciple of John the Baptist who had pointed Israel to the coming Messiah. Apollos was going from synagogue to synagogue preaching the coming Messiah. But it, well, here he is. We saw it. He came to the synagogue at Ephesus and uh, God had Priscilla and Aquila waiting, waiting there for him. And when they showed Apollos that the Messiah he was preaching had come, 
And Paul has put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Apollos had heard about the Messiah. Apollos had preached about the Messiah. Apollos believed in the coming Messiah. But he had never met him yet. He wasn't even aware that he had come. And just like those heroes of the faith I spoke about at the beginning of of, of the message here, Apollos had an academic knowledge. He had a theological knowledge. But Apollos did not have an experiential relationship yet with the Messiah. He didn't even know he was around yet. He didn't even know. Watch this. Before the cross, Apollos believed in Jesus. After the cross, Apollos believed on Jesus. Let me illustrate this for you. If you're ever in a car accident or any type of calamity where you might get a settlement. There you might have accrued a huge amount of expenses and, and you have all of these bills and you say you have a, uh, this debt that needs to be paid from, from the tragedy and from the accident. And, and say uh, whether, whether it's through court or whether it's just because the insurance companies just step up and understand what, what, what they need to do and they do their part, uh, you would maybe have what's called a settlement. So here you have debt over here, and here you have the insurance company that says, okay, here, we'll, we'll take care of those. You're insured. Here's your settlement. Okay. And so before you get your settlement, before that money is in your bank account, you know it's coming, right? It's coming. So what do you have over here? You have debt that needs to be paid and a coming settlement that's going to pay it. You know what happens eventually if everything goes well? Yeah. That settlement actually makes it into the bank account, right? And now watch this. Now you have money to draw from to pay your debt. So watch what you're doing. Before the settlement got to your bank account, you believed in it. It was coming. You knew it was. A little bit of a relief. You had a lot of debt you had to pay and you knew it was coming. But after that money hit the bank account and you opened, maybe you got online or you went to an ATM and got a little printout and you went, ah, it's here. You know what happened then? You believed on that settlement and you went and paid your debt. Yeah. Apollos was just waiting for the settlement. <laughs> yeah. when, he, when he was informed, hey, uh, the settlement, it's in the account. It's available to draw on. It's there. You know what Apollos did? He, he put his faith and trust on the finished work of Christ. And he made a withdrawal of the atoning blood of Jesus and settled his account. Hallelujah. Yeah. What does it mean for us today? Matthew 7.22 Jesus said, many will come unto me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? I don't think it's going to be this. I think it's going to be more of a wretched cry. Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not in thy name done many wonderful works? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He said, I never knew you. You know, there's coming a day 
when there are those that will come to Jesus who believed in Him. They believed he, they, they agreed that He existed in history. They may have even made changes in their life and tried to follow Him, thinking that would do something. But listen closely, they never met Him personally, experientially, putting faith and trust on His finished work in the atoning blood of Christ to reconcile them back to God. Many will do that. And so the question this morning is, have you ever met the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you met Him? Not do you know about Him. Not are you aware of Him. Not do you agree that He was a a historical figure. I mean, listen, the the, the, the most ardent... uh, uh, there are some of the most ardent atheists who will, will agree Jesus existed. He existed. Historically, it's a historical fact. I'm not going to deny it. They reject who He is. Yeah. But they believe in Him. But they refuse to believe on Him. You know, you may have the knowledge of Him. Today, you may, you may believe that He existed. You may even believe that He is the Son of God. But has there been a day in your life when you turned to Him, when you sought Him in repentance, asking for the atoning blood to be placed upon your account? Could you imagine going through your life saying, Oh, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. When did you get married? I don't know. Just woke up married one day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We went out and bought rings. Yeah. Does she know this? No. <laughs> You ever do that in school? Some guy, some buddy friend of yours, yeah, I got a good new girlfriend. Does she know? Uh, not yet. <laughs> I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Listen, friend, when you know the day you met, G- when, you, when, you, when, you, when you know the day that you got married, I'm telling you, you know the day you met Jesus. And if you don't know that day, listen, you need to. Before it is, literally, this is not hyperbole, before it is eternally too late. You say, how do I meet him? <laughs> how do I turn to him? How do I put my faith and trust in him? You, well, you come this morning and we'll show you to somebody who is trained in the Word of God, who can show you how you can meet the Lord Jesus Christ, how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can be reconciled back to God. Christian, I want to leave you with something as well. Do you notice something else about Paul, Apollos? You may have caught this. I know some of you are students of the, of the Word of God. You, you already know this, what I'm about to say. But it's a good reminder for us. Sherry and I were talking about this this morning, about what a great reminder this was for, for her and I. And I said especially for her. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Notice no black eyes. It, it, was, it was fun. I didn't do it. Apollos was teachable. He was mighty in the Word of God. He was an incredible orator. He had a a great command of the Bible. He had a knowledge probably that may have even surpassed Aquila and Priscilla. But they realized, when they realized he doesn't know about Jesus, they took him aside and he listened. And he was teachable. Are you teachable? 
Christian, I'm talking to believers today, are you teachable? Are you teachable? You know, it's hard to imagine someone is teachable when they're not faithful to the services of church. Are you teachable? Let me just stop there. Father, thank you today for your word. And Lord, I ask this morning for the drawing of your Holy Spirit on those that may be here this morning among us that have never met the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something within, within them. There is something drawing them. They, know, they, they, may know, they may know that there's something wrong with them. They may know that they just have never met you. And they need to. And I pray that, Father, you'd remove every obstacle that today they would come forward and that today they would seek you in repentance and, Father, turn to you and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Would you, would you do that today to those? And to us who are here who are believers, we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the risen Christ. We believe, we believe the gospel. We put our faith on Him. Father, would you help us to always, always, always remain teachable. We're finite beings. We don't know everything. And it could be possible that somebody less informed than we are, less educated than we are, that could, could, could just possibly understand something of the Scriptures that we haven't understood. God, help us to have a teachable spirit. Lord, would you do a work today in your church? And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand?